Writing wrong rule descriptions and punishing exploits, it's the man of pewter himself. Fortified Niche. Show editor Surf here. This is a very special episode of Fortified Niche, as the boys do their first interview. Faithful listeners will remember that the pod was very impressed by Pulp Alley. So today, JC is talking to the shadowy mastermind behind the rules, David Phipps. And why am I the one doing the intro? Because JC has the brains of a squirrel, and only remember short recording about a minute in the interview. So enjoy! Because JC's a buffoon and did not record the first question of the episode, I will pose it instead, which is... What inspired Pulp Alley? Well, I guess for me, uh, Pulp is a, is a long time obsession, and, and uh, just I'm a big fan of the old serials and the old Pulp magazines and that style of action. And, and I guess for me, uh, it's a very broad category. Like, I don't think of the Pulps as simply a 1930s sort of adventure sort of thing. I really think of Pulp in the terms of the old magazines and in the terms of the old serials. So I think of it as horror stories like H.P. Lovecraft and the Cthulhu mythos. Those sprang from the pulp magazines. That was really the only place that, that I think that he was ever really published during his lifetime anyway was in pulp magazines. So horror uh, and weird stories, those are definitely, to me, that's pulp. Another thing that, that is very pulp is the westerns because the westerns were a huge segment of the pulp magazines and the old serials. So to me, pulp is westerns and to me, pulp are war stories and pulp is science fiction and pulp is fantasy. Robert E. Howard, the creator of the Conan stories, uh, he was a pulp writer. He wrote in the pulp stories during his lifetime again. I think that's the only place that his stories were ever seriously published were in pulp magazines. So I don't think of pulp as a, as a small setting. For us, we play a lot of different stuff with pulp. So when I get tired of playing our I'll just say Indiana Jones style stories, yeah. you know, high adventure. I'll switch over to playing pirates. And to me, that is still pulp. Or I'll switch over to swashbuckling or I'll switch over to playing some sci-fi games for a while. And to me, all of those things uh, are pulp because they were part of the pulp magazines and they were part of the old serials as well. So in this case, I guess pulp would be maybe more of a definition of the way action uh, rolls out in Pulp Alley, I guess, because those are some different genres, I guess, uh, but that's the mm -hmm. action in them that mm -hmm. att attracts you, so to speak, right? Yes, yes. Uh, so... When we were thinking about doing a, a game that kind of encompassed all of that, we, we definitely had to go back and, and revisit our source material again <laughs> and think about again, you know, how should the game work? And, and when we were putting together Pulp Magazine, with the Pulp Alley with, with my daughter, um, we really looked seriously at, at the old serials, the old pulp magazines. We read through them and we watched them. And, we, and again, we had to say to ourselves, that's the way the action is supposed to be. 
even even to the point of, of you know watching boxing and you know modern mixed martial arts and old kung fu <laughs> movies and old samurai movies and old stuff like that you know we watched those things and we said that's the way it's supposed to play like that's what we want to be able to do within the game so the, so yeah this uh, purposeful uh, recreation of uh, genre conventions i guess in the dynamics of uh, combat in and and how, how how you put it on the table mm-hmm. yeah very much so very much so when you know uh, we started working on pulp alley because we were kind of disenchanted a bit with the, the direction that a lot of games were going uh and we love playing we love tabletop games and we've played you know i've played tabletop games for you know a very very long time and it just felt like the games tended to kind of drift away from allowing the player to be part of the game. So, in other words, it, it oftentimes feels like the only thing you do at the table is roll dice. That's You don't make enough decisions. You don't really have an impact on the fights and things like that. And so what we wanted to do is to, to create a game where the players were actually involved where the players really felt like they were participants in the action and that's why our combat system works the way it does where it's very engaging when two when two characters are fighting it really does feel like a fight it doesn't feel like you're just whacking on a fence <laughs> post and waiting for the fence post's turn to fight back you know so we wanted you know and that's that comes from watching you know boxing and mixed martial arts where when two fighters are fighting it should it should feel like a fight you know it should feel like a struggle uh both characters should be actively engaged in that and it should be dangerous really for both characters if you enter a fight and and i think far too often in in modern tabletop games you have this whole i go you go mentality that is just so <laughs> silly where you can walk up and attack somebody and you suffer no consequences of it at all, you know, and that's not that's not real life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you walk up and attack somebody, you should you should be prepared for them to fight you back, you know, not later on in the turn, but immediately. So that's why it was very important that fights feel like fights. Yeah, I understand. I understand what you're going from. I've I've done a little fencing in my time, and it's 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 never just uh, uh, outright. I am faster than you, so I'll so I'll hit you with impunity, and then you hit me, and, and right, right, trading hit points. Yeah. You know what? And and you're in you're in Lithuania, so maybe this will maybe you'll find this amusing. I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of funny, but. I, I was watching this uh, this YouTube uh, video, this Russian uh, slap yeah. fighting, where where they go to bars or wherever, you know, and they stand at a table, and one guy just hauls off and slaps the other guy across the face as hard as he can, and then you know after he does that, then the other guy. You know, after he he kind of braces himself, and then he slaps the other guy like they take turns just slapping each other across the face as as hard as they could. And to me, that that is a good representation of how most tabletop games think that fights occur. But that's not a fight, right? A fight should be, you know, uh, you know, impulsive and and uh, you know chaotic. 
and just anything can go. Um, I saw some fights recently where, the, where two boxers just hauled off and knocked each other out both at the same time, and they both fell down after punching each other, you know? And you could do that yeah. in Pulp Alley. Like, that could actually happen in Pulp Alley because you have this simultaneous fighting sort of situation. It's not this silly I go, you go that has unfortunately taken root in the, in the tabletop yeah, game. I, I, yeah, I, I've definitely seen games like that where it's like, if I, if I go first, it's, it's, uh, very, it goes mm -hmm. badly to you. And Pulp Alley is uh, in all levels... Uh, there's always risk, especially yes. especially with the yes. activation system. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. It is. Uh, it was one of those core, you know, things about Paul Valley that we wanted to build in. There was this sort of risk reward sort of mentality that the more you're willing to risk, the the more you can do, and it, you'll find it just completely all through the system that you have choices frequently about how much you're willing to risk like uh, when for example when you're when you're fighting somebody and you roll your dice even then you don't just roll your dice and then check a chart or something like that and find out what happens you roll your dice and then you decide what that happens you could use your dice then to block the opponent's dice and and to see how dangerous you want that fight and that represents, again, those split-second decisions that a fighter makes in the ring or on the battlefield or whatever, you know, in the yeah. tomb, uh, to decide how dangerous do they really want the fight to be or are they simply trying to cover up and defend themselves. So you don't just roll your dice in Pulp Alley. You get to roll your dice and then decide how that plays out and it's part of the fun for us you know is is making those decisions and, and sometimes you know you take a risk and it doesn't <laughs> pay off and you get hurt pretty bad right or sometimes you can take that risk and it works out in your favor it's it's yeah it's it's the dice still matter but at least you have decisions in there that you can have fun with along the yeah, way. Yeah, it's nice when the the decisions that you make on the battlefield matter and not the ones that you did, not so much the ones that you did in the army building phase. Yes, perfect comment, perfect comment. Yeah, the players, you know, so many games take the players out of the equation, and, and that was something that was became increasingly frustrating to us. You know, I was looking at a, an old um, Western game, and I, I just could not believe the idea that you didn't have character creation rules in it. Like, why would I want to make a, And you see this in a lot of games, uh, tabletop games, that they don't give you rules to actually create your own characters. They say, well, this is what a sheriff yeah. is. And it's like, oh, that's what a sh the sheriff in every single town is supposed to have this profile right here. That's that's what I get when I play a sheriff, you know. And this is what you get if you're an outlaw boss, you know. And it's like, oh, this doesn't make any sense at all. Well, I like this character profile better. Why can't I use that for my sheriff, you know? But no, that's that's just not the way they're they're. Their system works, and, and in Pulp Alley, again, that was one place that we wanted to make sure that players had some freedom and some options, is you could actually create your, your very own characters from scratch, and, and you know, that's, that's part of the fun to me. And it's not easy. It's not easy as a game designer to create that sort of situation where there's not this 
imbalance within the system, but we took three years designing Pulp Alley. Um, there's a funny story where in the, in the time that it took us to play test and write and, and release Pulp Alley, a, a buddy of mine released like six different books in the same time that it took me to do one. Um, it, it's, it's, yeah, uh, Pulp Alley is still around 10 years later because we are coming up on our 10 year anniversary, but, but those six books have, have come and gone, you know, because I think it's worth it to take the time and, and really work hard on what you're doing. And the big reason for us, the big reason for us why we do it is because we're actually players. Yeah. Uh, so many game designers simply are, you know, looking for their next paycheck and they're writing a book and then they move on to the next game and so on and so forth. And we're, we actually play our game. We, we love our game. Uh, we play it every single week. We do live games every week on, on YouTube so folks can see us playing it and, and how much fun it is and, and how the rules work. Um, and, you know, it's just important to us that the game works well because we play it every And I week. guess uh, this, is, uh, this is why you used uh, that word that some game designers really hate, balance. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm, uh, because mm -hmm. like so sometimes it feels like they use it as a shield to not do the system, but uh, you took uh, took took the time, and it's not like Pull Pally is a simple. I mean, character creation in, in Pull Pally isn't a simple system. That's there's a lot of moving parts. Maybe your maybe your mm -hmm. one guy is actually mm -hmm. a group of five guys, and then those five guys are a bit mm -hmm. different, the, act a bit differently than your regular characters, which is uh, extremely nice. Yes, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of flexibility in there. There's, oh gosh, you know, there's over 100 different abilities that you have to pick from. There's several different, you know, levels of characters from your allies or your gangs and things like that. And you could create your characters the way you want them to be. Do you want your characters to be a, a shooty league? Are they soldiers of fortune who, you know, have rifles and things like that? Or are they brawly, you know, are they, are they the sort of characters that want to get in there and go hand to hand with somebody? Or are they academics? You know, is their main purpose to avoid combat and to look for the plot points. And you always have to remember, and, and I'd say the vast majority of Pulp Alley points, the, the real game is not about fighting the opponent. The real game is about collecting the plot points and, and playing the story as it's laid out. Um, it's like, um, you know, a game of football. The, the, the goal when you get on the field is... To, to put the, the, the ball in the, the opponent's net. Well, the, that's a very simple idea, yeah. right? All you have to do is go down <laughs> there and kick the ball in the net. Unfortunately, there's another group of guys on the field that want to stop you from doing that. And the, the goal is not just to clash with those other guys, and it's easy to get... It's, because Pulp Alley is so much fun to play, it's easy to get distracted by just the <laughs> fighting. And I do it sometimes when I'm playing. When I'm playing, sometimes when I'm playing, I just feel like a good fight, and I don't really care about the plot points anymore. I just want to go bash something, yeah, you yeah. know. Um, so if you can if you can remember that there are plot points out there, and that there's an actual story to be told there, uh, 
then then it's a lot more fun in my opinion because you have a nice wide variety of characters that you could you can create in types of leagues. You don't have to just create a shooty league or a brawly league or academics or a stealth league and things like that. And those are kind of broad umbrella categories. And then even within even within your specific league, you can you can oftentimes balance within your league. So you could have a one character in your league that is very brawly, and then you could have one character that's very shooty, and you could have one character that's very dodgy, and you could have another character that is there to go collect the plot points. And I think that's probably one of the 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 more successful sorts of leagues that I see is when you take the time to kind of create a balanced league. Uh, but you can make any of the different leagues actually work. Uh, they're a lot of fun to try different types. And the, the, the one thing that uh, my co-host always remembers is that even a character that isn't shooting, they're still getting some dice in shooting. So they're not, uh, not powerless. Mm -hmm. They're not left standing there mm -hmm. in the middle of the field. Yes, and specifically when you get into that short range. Once you get into that point-blank range, the uh, ranged sh uh, shooting gets even more dangerous there. So they might have a hard time shooting uh, across the table at somebody, but when things get up close and personal, just about everybody's dangerous <laughs> then. Yep. That's a good point. Yeah, and uh, so th this the game was created. The game was released like ten years ago. So uh, so it, you started creating it around two thousand and ten. So, uh, mm -hmm. what other games uh, did you draw? Did you draw inspiration from it? Because we know that this isn't your first uh, project. Well, um, it was. Uh inspired a lot by some rules that I had uh, worked on with some friends of mine for a game that was released called Ambush Alley. Uh, Ambush Alley, I uh, contributed a lot of rules to that. Um, and then Force on Force and Ambush Z. And there were several little games like that. And those were a lot of fun to work on. Uh, and uh, so when I started looking at something that I, I really wanted to play, um, that's when we kind of looked at, at the idea of doing Pulp Alley because, again, it was such a wide, it had such a wide, you know, different genres that I could play, and, and that, to me, also keeps it fun. So uh, it, it's because, like, for us, uh, the, uh, the, it, it seemed like a very interesting, I don't know if you could call it lateral movement, but going from Ambush Alley, which is, which is uh, trying to... Uh, depict uh, military conflict uh, realistically, I guess, uh -huh. as more of a give and take and all that, and then go to Pulp Alley, which is a very different game and it comes not even with different rules, but like a different feeling and a different player base. It seemed like an interesting leap to make. Uh... Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree on that. Um, and I, I, I guess for us, you know, we, we really did start from the ground up. We really did start thinking about, you know, if we're going to do this game and we're going to do Pulp Alley, uh, a pulp genre game, we're going to start from the very beginning and kind of work up. You know, we're not going to do... So we started looking at how do we want to do the health? You know, how do we want to do injuries? How do we want to represent that? 
We also made a, a, a nice list of what we felt like we wanted in the game. We said, well, we want to be able to create our own characters, right? We don't want to just have to use what comes in the book. We want to be able to create characters. We want injuries to be meaningful. Like when a character gets hurt, we want that to affect them. We don't want them to just put a little tick on the table or put a, you know, go, okay, well, I got one wound and that, you know, and then you forget <laughs> about it, uh, right? You want, you want the injury to mean something. So that's where we came up with rules for that. We wanted things like, uh, we didn't want to use charts during the game. Like at no point during the game did we ever want to feel the compulsion to, to pick up a, a chart and go and cross-reference numbers and things like that or, or roll on a chart. So that's completely out of Pulp Alley. So, you know, when we, when we first started going after it, we, we made this kind of wish list. And I think just about everything that we wanted ended up being on the list. I, I can't remember anything specific that, that we wanted that didn't make it on the list. But, you know, we, we, had, we had certain things we wanted, and then we designed the game around reaching those goals. Um, like one of the goals was that we wanted the fights to feel like yeah. fights. You know, we didn't want to. Another one was that we wanted the, um, we wanted the actions – you know, like climbing a cliff, climbing the side of the building, doing a plot point. We wanted those things to be somewhat random. We didn't want every time you walk up and you want to climb the cliff, you have to roll a dexterity yeah. check or whatever it is, you know. So instead of that, what we looked at was the idea of making that challenge somewhat random. So when you go up and you're going to do a peril or a challenge, you draw that card to find out which one of your stats is relevant. And often, frequently, it'll be a couple different stats, and then you get to pick. You know, it could be, let's say an example is that you're stuck on a, uh, a little island, and there's alligators swimming around the island, and you're going to try and, you know, leap across the, the water to, to where the, it's safe, you know. Well, is that a might check? Are you using your might to, to, to get across? Are you using your finesse to lightly dance across the top of the alligators? Or maybe use your cutting and you go, oh, look, there's a, there's a, a dead animal over here. If I throw that in there, then that draws the alligators and I can swim across then, you know? So it, the idea that a single challenge has to come down to one attribute um, you know, and that was inspired by the James Bond style yeah. movies, right? Where where James Bond or the uh, frequently comes up with uh, crazy ways to do things, and even as far as climbing a cliff, you know, even as far as climbing a cliff, one of the or uh, climbing up the side of a building, you know, good climbers will tell you. You know, looking at the looking at the cliff and and figuring out your route is far more is the most important part of the climb, and that would be a cunning yeah. check where you look at the wall and you understand. You know, oh look, there's handholds here and here and here. So you make it. It's really not a might check or a finesse check. It really is a cunning check to identify that. Or 
you could just use your brute strength to climb up the wall and rely on your might. So that's why, you know, different traits are important throughout Pulp Alley, and you don't know. And I like that idea. When you come up on a peril, you don't automatically know which trait is going to be tested by it. You, it's going to be random a lot Yeah, and it uh, helps uh, keep uh, uh, all sorts of characters viable because... It's not just, uh, oh, I know that uh, climbing a wall is a static uh, challenge of uh, this number, and so only my rogue character or something can do it. Uh, and like you mentioned, yes, it's uh, it's all about how you approach the yawning pit of alligators. Maybe you have a science doohickey mm-hmm. that can do it or or break, exactly. break something down. So yep. I, I generally enjoy the, the uh, peril-driven card gameplay that that, uh, that took out because sometimes it's like, yeah, I could climb that wall, but my character is entirely incapable of doing that. So I have to get right. some guy from somewhere to do it. And it's like, no, everyone's viable in some way or another. Yep, yep. Especially if you have, yeah, yeah, you have those stats. Now, sometimes you get up to that wall and you find out it's trickier than yeah. you thought, right? Sometimes you send a character with good cunning up there, and he looks at that wall and he says, you know what? I can't get up this because it's going to definitely test yeah. my might. And that's real world, yeah. right? That's like real. That's like how it is in the action-adventure movies. There's Sometimes there are things that you can get through, and sometimes there aren't. And, you know, you just kind of have to take that as you go along. It's... It, it keeps you on your toes in Pulp Alley where it's, it's far less predictable how the challengers are going to yeah, pop this, up. Yeah, this is a, a little bit of opacity that uh, makes the game less of a solved issue because that's something something I think about the games like how often it, it, having a big mass of players mean that they'll crunch the numbers and they'll come, uh, come out with the optimal solution for everything. And so doing anything but that is just like shooting yourself in the leg. It's uh, And then, mm-hmm. th- then it feels bad because at the end of the day, we all want to succeed and uh, it doesn't feel nice yeah, if you have yeah. to like hobble yourself. Yeah, yeah. We had, uh, we had a lot of, of fun during playtesting and, and we had a great group of, of uh, folks to do playtesting with us. Um, you know, some very experienced players, some new players. And one of the things that we did, you know, during that three years was really look for things that were exploits or, or, you know, things that were, oh, everybody tended to gravitate towards. So if something looked like it was overly powerful or, you know, appealing, you know, we wanted to reevaluate that and say, you know what, maybe we need to, to ratchet that down a little bit. So we were we were lucky to have a great group of playtesters to help us find those things. Uh, so we'd we'd play one week, and you know everybody would would decide that they had one specific you know ability that they thought was that everybody wanted to take. And then we said, okay, well that means we have to nerf that one. You know, since it, if it's too powerful and everybody thinks they have to take it, and that helps you know again find that balance in there. It's it was it was a lot of fun. You know, coming back time and time again, and and having folks try it during the playtest rules to make sure that that it was yeah. Balanced. That's like uh, I remember one forums game was run off in Her Majesty's service, if you know that, uh, from mm-hmm. Osprey, and mm-hmm. uh, and basically everyone made their teams immortal, 
not maybe not the entire team, but maybe one one important character. But immortality appeared a lot of times, and I guess this is a, th- this is something you would do, and uh, that would make you rethink either immortality or character death rules. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Definitely. So t- talking about yeah. folks, you mentioned it, it already in this episode, and uh, I think we mentioned it in the podcast because it surprised us is that your daughter is credited with. Uh, with working mm-hmm. with Paul Pally. So how did she get involved in creating uh well, I I don't know. It's it feels a little wrong calling it a war game, but yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It um well it's a tabletop yeah. game, I guess. Um well I guess as a as a parent or as a lifelong player myself, I, I can't help but um, you know, get excited when when she gets excited about getting involved and wanting to be part of it and wanting to play, and that became you know something that we could work on together. And she was pretty instrumental. I think she helped me overcome a lot of things that uh, um, that maybe I would have done differently. And I think that's that's an important part when you're working with somebody because they they frequently bring new ideas and um so here's an example <laughs> you know i was i was contemplating uh the fast move in pulp alley you know i wanted characters to be able to to move uh, a certain amount during as as kind of a free action but then if you wanted to then you could do like a fast move or a double move or a rapid move and i was trying all of these different terms and trying to figure out what what we were going to call the slow move is it a half move and then the full move or is the is the regular move a, a, and she said why don't you just call it walking and running <laughs> right yeah yeah, yeah. Right? It's like, wow it's like uh oh okay yeah that'll work you know and it was it was just like she brought some some grounding and some really good ideas and she, and there was a lot more that she she you know, added in. That's just that's just a funny little example that, that and we were talking about is on that one. We were talking about that on on the way I was driving her to school one morning, and we were we were talking about that rule, and that was that was our our takeaway from that morning's drive to school is that she said, well, we'll just call it walking and running. Um, so it was kind of fun to to have her involved in it, and what it also did, and she had a group of friends that did a lot of playtesting, a lot of young folks, uh, um, and it it really helped us from their point of view also identify, you know, where we we could improve the rules and make them work a little bit better. I I never go into this sort of thing thinking that we're going to make the perfect set of rules, Right, we're not trying to design a set of rules for everybody's going to love this set of rules because that's just not a reality. I've been in this, I've been playing games long enough to know that there's no, you know, that's just not the way it works. For us, really, more than anything else, we wanted to design a set of rules quite selfishly that that we wanted to play. Yeah. So that was that was our main goal. That's that we were really honestly. We're not trying to design a set of rules for anybody other than ourselves. And then we said, well, I hope other folks like this. 
and want to play it as well. And, and hopefully if we, if we create a set of rules that we really honestly enjoy playing and will be playing for the next, you know, 10, you know, years or so, uh, then, then that'll be a lot of fun and, and maybe other folks will like it too. So we were, we were really lucky in that regard that, that it, it's as popular as it is. We're, we're just thankful so, for that. Uh, so, so what do you think uh, attracts people uh, to play, I don't know, both Pulp as a genre these days and Pulp Alley? Gosh, I don't <laughs> know. That's, that's terrible, isn't it? Uh, I just like, for, I guess for me, it would be the sense of nostalgia. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you think back to, you know... Um, I think there's a, a bit of nostalgia around the 1930s sort of era, that sort of pulp era between the two yeah, wars. Yeah. After, the, after the Great War and before World War II, there's this kind of period in there where you have, you have uh, prohibition, you have the gangster you know, sort of stuff. Um, there's, there's a lot of small uh, wars going on uh, around the world. Um, so it's just a time of adventure and exploration. A lot of technologies are, are kind of changing during that time period. You have the Zeppelins, you have, you know, just archaeology, you have the discoveries of, of you know, tombs and things like that. So it's, it's a fun setting. Um, and also, yeah, and then as far it's like, and yeah. also everything like that is depicted in those same serials you mentioned, and in the, and in the colorful mm -hmm. comics at the time, and there's like big characters taking on these uh, dangers of the time. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, big characters for that time period would be like your Doc Savage, uh, who's this you know globe trotting adventurer, uh, the Spider. Uh, so you had a lot of vigilante sort of characters that were cleaning up the, the dirty cities, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. And then you had a lot of aviation uh, was just taking off. The, the aviators were like the, um, you know, the, the spacemen or the science fiction almost of today where just the idea of people traveling around in yeah. airplanes was relatively new and exciting. Uh, so you had a lot of aviation-based uh, pulps and cereals as well as and and those were a big inspiration for us um, you know to to try and introduce those the the aviator sort of characters yeah too. yeah it's important to, it's important to have people who will draw that dotted line from one city uh, in the world to another and uh, flying boats obviously mm -hmm. which is a ready-made base you can take yes. it with yourself yeah uh, yeah, very good. But uh, what we wanted also to ask uh, is that, like, you know, it's the uh, 1930s and uh, nostalgia and stuff. So how did you navigate the some of the uh, more difficult themes, topics, or tropes that Pulp did in regards to minorities or treating, uh, I don't know, women and, and stuff? Because it was a different time that it, than, it is for, than it is now. And as far as we yeah. remember, Pulp Alley... Uh, it was uh, very fa fairly too very good about uh, uh, about about that stuff. Yeah, I guess for us is there's no uh, there's no delineation in there for 
you know, making a character one gender or another, or one sex or another. Female characters don't have, you know, this stats or this no profile. No score. You know, male, there's, right, there's no, there's nothing like that in Pulp Alley. It is uh, very much just, um, you know, everyone is, is a person. Everyone is an individual. Uh, you know, we're really... Um, Tried to make sure, although, you know, I think there's a tendency for writers or designers to always design pretty much from your own, you know, your own yeah, base, yeah. your own knowledge, you know. So the, it's, I think anybody who picks up these characters is, is free to do with them what they choose to do and, and you know, what, however they want to paint their characters, whatever you know, color they want to make their skin, that's up to them. You know, that's not decided by us. It just, it's really irrelevant. It's just the adventures of the time. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, I think when you look back, and obviously there were, there was just things that people could have done a whole lot better. Uh, but then you also find these little nuggets in there that you could really say, um, that was, there were good representations yeah. as well. Uh, you can't look at it purely and say everything in the, you know, the 1930s was just bad, you know. I was, uh, my wife and I were watching the Jungle Girl serial recently, and we were, we were remarking that how frequently Jungle Girl has to save Stanton, yeah. you know, like, it's it's almost a, an even trade-off there where one one episode he has to rush in and save her and then the next episode she's rushing in and saving him and it's a, it's a fairly even you know it's not like it would be easy to look at her and say oh well she's the damsel in distress but she isn't you know she's she really is a strong independent character in the serial and another thing that they did in the old serials and the and the pulps is that they really didn't spend a lot of time worrying about people's sexualities yeah. or anything like that. You know, very, very seldom was there anything close to romance in the vast majority of them. If you wanted to perceive that there was a relationship between a couple characters within a serial or a pulp, you had to almost bring that yourself to the story that the the writers tended to really avoid that. And you have to remember that a lot of these pulps and a lot of the serials were actually written for children. Right, right. Uh, they were, it was the Saturday morning matinee <laughs> and that sort of thing where, where you know, 10-year-olds were going and, and watching the, the yeah. old serials and stuff. So I don't know. It's a... It's a tricky situation, but it, it really doesn't have a place in, in you know in Pulp Alley, one way or another. It's just it's just uh, just about playing and having fun. Yeah, because uh, as far as I remember from the same in Her Majesty's Service, I think one of their setting uh, is actually called uh, the Orient, I guess, which is not very much a term you use these days, and mm. and uh, yeah. that rubbed people yeah. wrong. And uh, Pulp Alley. We, as far as we remember, it was was good. It was good. Uh, so um, uh, tangentially related to like bringing in like other perspectives and uh, people writing what they know. Uh, are there any are there any prominent female game creators that you follow these days? 
You know what? I, I don't hardly follow any game creators at all. Um, well, it's I, I feel bad. Oh, to I, say I, that, I, I understand that happens to me sometimes. Yeah. I, uh, right. Yeah. It's um, I am basically a stay-at-home yes. father. Uh, so I uh, I have two small children that I that are in many ways my full-time yes. job. Uh, so I take care of, of uh, my my baby girl who's just now uh, coming up on her one-year birthday. Uh, no miniatures uh, for her. In, in <laughs> March. No miniatures for yeah. her. Uh, and then uh, my little toddler who will be four this year. So they are my full-time job. And when I get a break, when I get time, then, you know, I start packaging up orders for people and – I am design trying to design new material. Uh, so what that means is that I don't get a lot of time to look at other um, people's work as much as I would like yeah. to. Um, so I'm not really able to follow very many people as far as game designers very often anymore. Yeah, and uh, uh, since yeah. this is a podcast and not a visual medium, what uh, what the people now can see is the wonderful recording space that you have, uh, festooned as it is with uh, Pulp Alley merchandise. <laughs> is that a Pulp Alley phone case? <laughs> it's it's a it's a Pulp Alley uh, phone. It's a it's a Pulp Alley ah. sticker. On a on a phone case, you yeah, know? yeah, I see it, I see it. Yeah, it's just a, uh, it's just a, uh, it's just a black yeah. phone case that Bessie bought for me, and then of course I I stuck a, a pulp alley sticker. And you on have, it. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm horrible <laughs> about that. You have a, a full assortment of uh, weapons there in the basket. That's a uh, sure for the yeah, apocalypse. Yeah, no. when, just when when the zombie zombie apocalypse comes, we want to make sure we have. Uh, you know, baseball uh, bat and uh, a golf club. Uh huh. The those are important. We have a little practice uh, uh, sword in there. We have a field hockey stick. There's a saber in there. There's a cricket yeah, bat, yeah, of course, for the uh, British zombies. Uh huh. Yeah. It's not an ikswa, but I have a a little spear in there yeah, too. Of course, of course. So yeah. It's, it's, so yeah, uh, so I was also going to ask you about about the favorite games out there, but seeing how you're playing, either playing with children and playing with full pally, that's probably a a, a moot a moot question at yeah. this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, I I still like role playing games. Uh, you know, as as someone who probably got sucked into this whole onto this path through Dungeons yeah. and Dragons, uh, you know, that probably introduced me in the, what, like the late 70s, early 80s, somewhere in there. I remember playing Dungeons and Dragons in high school uh, instead of doing my, my studies. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, so that will always have a soft spot in my heart. Uh, I think as a rules system, I think it's it's not one of the better <laughs> ones out there. And for me, when I discovered RuneQuest, yeah. 
that was that was pretty eye-opening. That was just like, wow, RuneQuest was, was pretty amazing. And I think that may have been one of those little sparks in, in my brain that sent me off in the idea that, wow, you can actually design games that are very representative or very, you know, a little of, of reality and, or, or make things, you know, differently. Um, and then Call of Cthulhu yeah. uh, is another one that I really enjoyed the idea of, you know, and I was a big Car Wars player wow. back, in, back in my misfit <laughs> youth. And that's another game that I think is just has a wonderful concept behind it. But it's really it's it's a hard game to to really get new people into because it's it's it tended to be very slow and and kind of plodding. Uh, so uh, BattleTech, of course, we played the heck out of BattleTech, and then of course we got into uh, Warhammer 40k, the old uh, what was it? Um, oh, you know the original like hard battle uh, Rogue Trader. Uh, Rogue Trader, sure. That's that's the word I was thinking of. Yep, yep. The Rogue Trader, Warhammer Forty Thousand, and then, you know, Fantasy Battle Two, um, and those were all just really, really fun games that we played the heck out of. Uh, even to the point of doing like Warhammer Quest. Yeah. We were, you know, I remember sitting around and playing Warhammer Quest almost just religiously <laughs> for for we for for weeks yeah. and weeks, you know, and and. Uh, same thing with Necromunda, yeah. you know, and, and uh, Space Hulk and all of those sort of games. And then we enjoy just tabletop games, you know, like your Settlers of Catan sort of games. Mm -hmm. You know, those are always fun to, to break out, too. So those, all of those sort of things, I think, kind of had a, a bit of a influence on on my ideas as far as game designing, too. So, and now I have two directions I want to go there, and I hope I won't forget it, but like how did you go from being this avid player of everything and how did it go that you made the transition into a creator of a game? I think a lot of us, um, when you get into this hobby, I think you pretty much have maybe like two big goals that you'd love to be able to do and one, or at least when, when I was getting started. One was opening up a game store. You know, that's something that we want to do, right? Yeah. And then being and designing rules. So for us, or at least for me, there was really pretty early on, and I can remember sitting on the floor with my friends and designing our own games. You know, back in the '80s and and the '90s. You know, uh, and these were games that never went anywhere. These were games that never. Uh, these were games that we simply played. But I can remember getting out our old um, uh, SF3D models and designing a game around those models, you know, putting them out <laughs> on the floor and, and marching them around. And it was kind of a derivative of, of Battletech sort of stuff. Uh, but we would do that. And, we, you know, we designed our own role-playing games. And, and we wanted to do a Star Wars role-playing game. And this is, again, you know, in the... Uh, 80s yeah. and early 90s sort of stuff. Um, so there was always this extra little thing, uh, even when we were playing squad leader, uh, you know. The That's not even advanced squad leader, that's just squad leader, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just old, yeah, just old, old squad leader. Uh, 
you know, even then we were looking at it and going, you know what, maybe we could try some different rules with this, you know, and we would, we would write our own rules for it. Um, so it was, there was always this extra, um, the transition for me was probably when we were working on Ambush yeah. Alley and I was contributing rules to that. And I saw that, you know, we had reached the point now in our, in the world where a small publisher like ourselves can actually be successful, fairly successful, <laughs> I'll say, um, because of yeah. the internet and the, because of the way that we can reach out across the world and talk to people in Lithuania <laughs> or Australia or you know Canada. And because of that, I would never be able to have done Pulp Alley without the internet. Uh, the only way that we're able to actually survive is because we have uh, uh, this platform that allows us to connect with people that are all over the place. If I tried to, you know, do a, a silly little game like Pulp Alley out of my kitchen, you know, uh, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, it would have never really been able to grow because it is such a, a small little yeah. niche. Uh, but now, because we can connect to people that appreciate that niche all over the world, that's what really allows us to 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 be somewhat successful. And I guess this is what allowed you to have that big sprawl in stores of store of yours with all the pulp alley materials and all the uh, miniatures from different manufacturers. I saw there there's stuff from cobblestone castings and all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love those old those old figures. So we try to carry uh, a small amount of pulp oriented sort of stuff. So if people are looking for pulp miniatures, then at least we have some in stock. Not only do we have our own stuff, but uh, Artisan has made some really yeah. nice uh, miniatures, Artisan designs over the years out of their their thrilling adventures range or thrilling tales. I don't remember what it's called, but. Um, and then Mark Copplestone, his Copplestone castings has a wonderful range of more like 1920s, 1930s characters. And there's, they're kind of scattered around here and there. Um, so, yeah, I, I, we try to stock some of those as well on our Pulp Alley store. And have you considered looking into 3D modeling? Yes. Yeah. Um, my, my wife, we just had an anniversary, and uh, she's uh, committed to buying me a 3D <laughs> printer this year. So for our anniversary, she's going to get me a 3D printer. And I started 3D printing about, oh, about five, six years ago uh, and designing my own uh, uh, files, uh, our, our own models, and... Um, some of them I have released to the public and some I, I <laughs> didn't really consider to be good enough and I've just kind of kept to myself. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking at getting back into 3D printing again. I have a very obsessive sort of um, personality, so I have to always be careful because if, if when I get something like that, that'll be my, my obsession for the next six months and I won't get as much writing done or designing done and things like that. But I think it's still important because that seems to be the direction yeah. 
that that the market's going, isn't it? It seems like, you know, you look over on Kickstarter and it's just uh, so many Kickstarters are selling nothing but STL files. And I guess you're not supposed to actually say selling, but that's the yeah, rewards yeah. is that you just basically get STL files. Uh, so um, I, I don't know. You know, I think there are some traditional sculptors out there I'd say like um, oh, there's some just really, really good uh, Perry Brothers out there. Perry yes. Brothers, yes. I I don't know that that they have explored any 3D printing. Certainly not that that I have seen. Uh, Sala over there at uh, Lucid Eye, I think he does absolutely amazing work and just the artistry of a traditional sculptor that really knows what they're doing just can really make beautiful, beautiful figures. I'm not saying that 3D sculptors aren't able to do that, but sometimes I don't think they bring the same level of artistry as, as a traditional sculptor does. Um, so I, I really do still enjoy... I think you have good and bad sculptors on yeah, both yeah. ends of that. It's It's not... You're not saying that all traditional sculptors are awesome or all 3D sculptors are crappy. It's it's really, you know, there are super awesome 3D sculptors and there are uh, super awesome, you know, traditional sculptors as well. I think uh, Patrick Keith down in Texas, he was a, I, he was a traditional sculptor uh, who was very successful and now he has made the transition to 3D sculpting. And I think the fact that he was a very good traditional sculptor, he brought that artist's eye to his to his 3D sculpts as well. So I I, I think it benefited him to be a, a a traditional sculptor. Andrew Ray in Scotland is another 3D sculptor that I think is is really really good. So. Uh, yeah. Awesome folks. Yeah, my, I mostly think about it from the direction of like games like Pulp Alley, where you don't necessarily find it economically economical to start a regular production line of either metal or plastic castings, but then releasing 3D yeah. models. Plus, also, I don't have a big game producer name, so I can say that there are some issues with 3D modelers, and that's that they overload the miniatures with detail. <laughs> I absolutely hate that. Yes. Yeah. And the other thing that the other issue that I have with 3D sculptors is that they don't they don't quite have the artist's eye of understanding how to do yeah. the detail. So the the details get lost when you when when they're looking at the miniature and it's this big mm. on the screen. Well, nobody can see what I'm doing there. When it's when they're looking at a screen and it's yeah. 10 inches tall in front of their face. And then, you know, they're they're designing it for that. And then when you print out the miniature and it's an inch and a half tall or an inch or whatever, um, like all of that detail just gets yeah. lost and and is absorbed into the miniature. And a lot of uh, traditional sculptors know how to do that because they're working directly from their eye. And not trying to look well. Oftentimes they are using yes, magnify yes. glasses and things like that too. But they're they're actually working with the figure itself, and they can see that you know whether or not that detail 
is the correct proportion to the rest of the miniature. And I think 3D sculptors lose that sometimes unless they really practice it. You have to print it out and then look at the actual miniature to tell, you know, is that right or is it not? You really still have to, to look at a physical object and you can't really you can't really base it just off of the screen, the image that you see on the screen. In my yeah, opinion, yeah. I could be wrong. 3D printing is good for uh, democratizing and I guess letting letting uh, more underserved ranges get their miniatures in. But for me, uh, actual sculpting with green stuff uh, will still remain wizardry, especially when the more, uh, w with the uh, more, uh, t more talented people that still do it these days. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. what, what, what would you think would be the most, uh, I wouldn't say useful, most exciting range to get for uh, pull, for pull pally. Like, wh what what do you think is still missing there? That's something that you would want to put on the table, but there are, isn't a good enough access to those those kinds of miniatures. Hmm. Gosh, I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, there's such a wide variety of stuff out there anymore. Yeah. Boy. Oftentimes, the miniatures kind of help drive me and, and inspire me, so it's not very often. I guess maybe some, and there's, there's, a few, there's some stuff coming out, but I'd like to see maybe some Amazonian uh, miniatures. Um, um, Mm, gosh, there's so much stuff. I have a, a big obsession about the Dark Ages right now, <laughs> and I'm really obsessing. I'm really obsessing over Vikings and Anglo-Saxons and Normans right now. Uh, so I've been working on some some rule ideas for a game on along that. And there's a lot of miniatures yeah. out there, you know. But finding uh, Red Box games, I think, has a beautiful line. And again. He's one of those fellas that did beautiful miniatures in the traditional style, and then he made that transition over to uh, 3D sculpting. Trey Manor over there at, at uh, Redbox Games, he does really good stuff. Um, gosh, I I don't know. I can't I can't <laughs> think of anything. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's 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 a glut. It it. It's remarkable to me that people are still coming up with new miniatures. Um, but then I I feel the same way about new songs. <laughs> it's like, good gosh, you know, there's so many songs in the world. Why do they keep making new ones? You know, it's, it's kind of silly. But, right, but we all want yeah. them. We all want new songs. We all want new miniatures. We all want new games. It's that It's that feeling of something new and shiny that, uh, you know, gets us excited sometimes. So we just constantly have to have new stuff yeah, for yeah. some reason i i love going back and and looking at those old miniature ranges like mark cobblestones and and pulp figures uh, uh bob Murch's wonderful line pulp figures in canada uh you know again he's a he's a traditional sculptor and uh you know for a, a long long time but he's also kind of experimenting a little bit with some 3d printing as well uh, for some terrain pieces and stuff like that, so it'll be interesting to see if he if he tries to make the leap over to making 
uh, 3D figures, but, you know, he has an amazing range of, of pulp miniatures. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of good pulp stuff out yeah, there. Uh, speaking of the, the good stuff, there's was one thing that, like I said, I had two ways to go from there from your gaming experiences there. Do you remember? Do you remember or have some sort of you know game that you think should have been big, revolutionary, but didn't? Like uh, for us, it was eighty forty three, which seemed like uh, when we played it recently, and we were like, those rules would have been definitely something back in the day. A lot of people talk this way about Mongoose's Starship Troopers, which were really, which had really cool rules and they're really interesting at the time, but didn't really take off. So, do you have any of these games that like you're thinking like ah they should have been bigger, but they didn't? Yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. Um, you know, when I was a kid. Uh, there was a, a group of games that, that came in these boxes. There was one called Cry Havoc. Uh, and it was a really interesting, um, really interesting game. And it was, it was knights, uh, medieval sort of combat. And the thing that I found so interesting about it is the layering of the, of the, of the tokens so on, you had beautiful artwork on it, and for a for a single knight, for a single knight character, you must have had like four different possibilities because you had the same knight as a mounted character on one side, and then when he became injured, you had to flip the character over to the other side. There was the injured stats, and then you had the same thing. He had the same. The model as a, or the same character as a uh, mounted figure or a, a, yeah. on foot. So you had two layers, you know, on foot and then an injured on foot. And I really enjoyed those games. I thought they were a heck of a lot of fun, and I was surprised that they kind of died off and, and went away. Um, but there was a, a quite a few of them that they did. There was... Um, I, I think they did the Cry Havoc, and I think they did another one called Samurai Blades, and just cool little games. And I thought, you know, what what a clever set, set of rules. Uh, but for whatever reason, it didn't really take off. I think RuneQuest, for me, was the game that, that I always thought was better than Dungeons & Dragons, and I didn't understand why people, like, like I literally could not understand why people played Dungeons and Dragons when RuneQuest was available. You know, it's like this is like such a better <laughs> game. Like this is like, like how are you playing that? It doesn't. I don't understand. But you have to remember that role playing games transcend yeah. their rules. Role playing games are really about the joy of sitting around the table and telling a story. It is a shared storytelling experience of a group of friends sitting around a table. And the rules are really secondary. The rules are almost meaningless in a way because the real game is the enjoyment of, of sitting around and just, just yeah. having fun. Uh, you just don't want the rules to be cum too cumbersome or in the way. Uh, you know, and there was really a glut of, you know, various role-playing games back in the day. And I guess D&D, &D, when it went to the open source and everything, 
um, it kind of kind of cut into the idea of other people creating other games. And that's that, that was really disappointing to me because I always felt like D&D, the rules to D&D are just not very good. They're not very representative yeah, of what yeah. you're really trying yeah. to do. I don't... I don't get me wrong. I like people misinterpret what I'm saying there. Like I enjoy playing D and D, despite the fact that the rules actually suck. You're right. The game, like it's the, it's like the difference between the rules to poker and playing yeah, yeah. poker. Those are really two different things. Like if you read the rules about how to play poker, they're not actually going to tell you how to play poker. You don't figure out how to play poker until you're actually sitting around the table with yeah. your friends or, you know, whoever you're sitting with, right? That's the actual game. The game is is different from the rules. So, despite the fact that the rules for D&D aren't aren't, you know, some of my favorites, uh it's enjoyable to play because it transcends the rules. Yeah, uh, nobody here. You're among friends with being a dissenting voice about D and D. Yeah, I don't get it. I, I, I understand why it's as popular as it is. You know, I, um, it's like Monopoly. Yeah, you know, is, is another yep. one of my another one of my punching bags. I really, I, I, you know, you. It, Monopoly is a terrible game. It's 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 a horrible game. It, it was never yep. actually even yep. intended to be fun, and people buy it because and and this is what the deal is is that there are concepts that transcend yep. the rules, right? There, it's a concept game. It's like Car Wars. Who does not want to put a machine gun on their car and just drive around blasting people? That's a cool yeah. concept. Unfortunately, when you actually play it. It's not as much fun, and it's the same way with, you know, the concept of of Monopoly. You know, okay, you get to be a real estate tycoon and build hotels and, you know, yada, 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 but in practice, it's a tedious and slow and, and not very fun game to play, um, but, yeah. you know. It yeah. is what uh, it is. Speaking of uh, car games, have you tried Gaslands? I haven't tried it, but people seem to like it. I have not. I have not. And I felt bad. I, I really wanted to try it because I went to a convention that had a whole bunch of Pulp Alley games. And a, and a, a really nice fella had a cool Gaslands table set up right next to some of the Pulp Alley tables. And I wanted to get over there and play it. I wanted to try it. Uh, because, uh, you know, again, I love the concept yeah. and I would love to see if it, if it actually played and it worked, you know? Um, but, you know, I also know that people get excited about concepts, yeah. right? They yeah. get excited about, they get excited about when people describe a game, you know, it, it's hard when they, when they say, well, you, uh, battle tech is cool because you get to drive big giant robots. Well, that's not really the game. The game is the mechanics of yep. how things work within the game. You know, you know, moving, keeping track heat. of your your heat, uh, having to mark off little <laughs> zeros, little dots. You know, fill in little dots. Okay, I get to mark off three little spots. You know, and all that s sort of stuff. And I don't know. You know, I I I don't necessarily. F I I love the concept because I like giant robot games. That's yeah. cool. 
But I don't like the idea of sitting there and filling in little dots on your on your thing. I, I find that kind of kind of tedious after yeah. a while. But the truth is, we played the heck out of BattleTech. You know, it was only after a long time of doing it that we went. You know what? This isn't really all that fun. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I understand. You haven't played the uh, BattleTech on Mega Mac, which does all the math for you. I'm I'm like. I oh, I, yeah. I, w- I would wish to play it in real life, but the math would boil my brain. I I'm here yeah, f- I'm yeah, here t- for the attempt to stomp on a pilot, which leads to my robot falling on its ass, ammunition exploding, and the robot going away. Like, th- see, that's yeah, exactly. cool. That's fun that's ac- stuff. That actually happens. That's happened. the fun <laughs> stuff. So when we uh, when we were introducing yeah. vehicles into Pulp Alley, we we wanted to find ways to be able to introduce them and still keep them yeah. fun. So we avoid things like turning templates. I don't I don't like turning yeah. templates. You know, again, it's like charts. We don't want to use them. So we just came up with rules that would allow us to to use the vehicles and include them without having to you know do silly stuff like you know, have to have turning templates. And I remember using turning templates in Car Wars, and it it was not, uh, you know, a lot of fun. Uh, they, they were helpful, but th- there were probably better ways to have done it. Uh, so we also wanted to introduce vehicles and be able to use them. The basic uh, vehicle rules are yeah, in the core yeah. rule book, and it's only a few pages, but I, I felt like it was important to have those rules in there because so much of pulp adventure and, and that sort of stuff involves yeah. vehicles, right? You want to be able to ride your mount up to the truck. You want to be able to jump off of your mount onto the vehicle. You want to have a, a brawl on the vehicle. You want to knock people off the truck and take it over, right? That has yeah, to be yeah. part of the rules. and. Leaving it out seems kind of silly, so we wanted it to be part of the part of the game. It doesn't overpower the game; it is still very much about what the characters do. Um, but it's fun to include vehicles out there as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you're a 1930s archaeologist and you're not p- punching a Nazi on a moving truck, why even do it? <laughs> So, uh, well, I, I know you said you don't you don't really get the time to follow stuff. Is there my final question was to be like, do, are you looking forward to any games coming out now these days? Um, you know, a game that I would like to actually yeah. look at games that I would look. Um, hmm, I, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head and Unfortunately, I get stuck in my own world so so often that I, I do feel like I live in a bubble yeah. sometimes. Um, so for me, the important things would be things like the re-release of our second edition books. Uh, so we're going back and revamping a lot of our first edition books and and updating them and adding new material and you know. Um, correcting some things and getting them ready for for second edition. So Tomb of the Serpent is the first one that we're doing there. Uh, and we're actually trying to solicit some help from some of our longtime players to kind of go through these this material and help us identify exactly what all needs to be updated or, or 
where we can add some new stuff. Um, so we're looking at doing a boxed set for Tomb of the Serpent with some new miniatures and a new uh, campaign Ooh. and everything. We're going to follow that up with uh, Bride of the Serpent, which is uh, part two of the Tomb of the Serpent campaign. So there will not only will there be a whole brand new Tomb of the Serpent, but there will be a follow-up for it as well. And we'd like to do that with, with each of the campaigns. So like uh, how... Lost World of Lemuria is a follow-up to Perilous Island. It is intended to to kind of dovetail into that campaign. So you play Perilous Island, and then you go to the Lost World of Lemuria. So that's uh, we'd like to do that with Vice Alley as well, get Vice Alley campaign updated to second edition, and then have a part two, which is going to be either Return of the Spectre or Revenge of the Spectre or something like that. Um, and then because of my obsession right now with the dark <laughs> ages and, and that I've, I've in, when I get inspired to work on it, I have a, a, a little set of, of rules that I'd like to release for some dark ages, uh, skirmishing as well. And I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. It, it may just be a really small, like comic book sized uh, release where it's just a very short, simplified set of rules um, that may or may not include the character creation. I'm not sure yet. I haven't really got that far. But there are certain things that I'd like to just have a little bit more detail. Like if one of the reasons yeah. for Pulp Alley that we didn't include weapons or armor or things like that is because we see it as a big, wide umbrella. Like, we want to be able to use it in sci-fi or uh, Viking Age uh, and still use the same rules. And you can't really do that if you have to, you know, be specific about all the little gadgets and things. And you have to balance bolt-action rifles against alien space guns, right? Yeah. Right, right. And that, then it becomes kind of, kind of silly, but... So, but if I'm gonna if I'm gonna create a set of rules specific to a Dark Ages setting, then I then I think or a, a campaign uh, specific to a Dark Ages setting, I think it's fun to kind of explore the the equipment a little bit more, the armor and the weapons a little bit more, and and have a, have a little more fun with that. Um, so I, that's that's a project that I've been working on for probably a, a year or so, and I just work on it when I get inspired, when I'm watching something or looking at something, and I go, oh, that's a cool way for that to work. Uh, if I'm watching a movie or reading a book, and I've been reading um, some historical fiction uh, from the Dark Age period and, and thinking about, you know, I want to make sure that that's included, uh, you know, just depending on what it is. So here's an example, like like drawing direct inspiration from, from the old serials and the old pulp magazines, you know. And a lot of times when I was working on those rules, I, I had those things playing in the background. And one of the fun things that happens in those old serials is that they have these sprawling brawls, yeah, right, yeah. where they're fighting, and, and people get knocked down. And then, you know, a couple seconds later, 
that guy gets right back yeah. up. And, and so that's why in Pulp Valley, that's why characters have a recovery check at the end of the turn. They have that chance to get back up. And it's the same way even if you look at boxers, even if you look at modern uh, mixed martial arts and things like that. Just because somebody goes down doesn't mean that they're gone. It doesn't mean that they're uh, just laying there waiting for you to, you know, uh, knock them out. You know, uh, boxers or fighters frequently go down in mixed martial arts and are able to get back to their feet if they want to. <laughs> Sometimes they don't want to. Uh, but anyway, that's an example of something that worked its way directly into Pulp Alley simply because... Uh, that's something from real life and it's something from the old yeah. serials that characters just, they get back up sometimes. And I, I liked that idea. It, it was worked into the rules. And is there something that's uh, really cool that's uh, Viking shaped that's making into into the Viking game? Well, for there, I'm really looking at the weapons and I'm thinking about you know some of the different things about what does a spear actually do? So the advantage of having a spear, obviously, is yeah. that reach. And then thinking about what do we really want that to represent within the game? So it's, it's more about looking at that sort of thing. Um, what does an axe, if you have an axe, what does it really do? What does it, you know... It's not about just saying, oh, it does uh, die eight plus yeah, one yeah. damage or something like that. And that's, that's the only rule. I think there's, there's ways to think about these weapons and kind of expand on them a little bit. So that's one of the things that I wanted to do is to have these almost like, I hate to call them techniques, yeah. but as a novice... As a novice, if you're somebody that's not very experienced with a weapon and, you, and you're handed a weapon, well, you're not really going to get much of the, of the advantages yeah. out of that weapon because you're, you don't really have the skill to use it particularly effectively. Uh, but as you advance through the, your, the training with that weapon, you learn new techniques. Well... Now I've I've gained the ability to uh, do a shield bash as well as as you know uh, using the spear. Um, so there are little things you know you can hook with yeah. the axe. You know you can use the axe to hook a shield and and try to pull it uh, to create an opening. Well, that that should be a, a maneuver. You could use an axe to try and you know. Uh, chop someone's shield and and you know break it apart. So there are different things. Uh, swords are good, you know, for parrying. They're they're just a good nimble weapon. Uh, so that's where I'm kind of at right now is looking at how do I really want to treat the individual weapons uh, in the game, and then trying to find a yeah, balance. Yeah. That's that's the tricky part uh, because all of those weapons are. I I, I really dislike the idea of of leaning too heavily towards any of those weapons because that's not how it happened in real life. I mean, you could say that the spears were very dominant on the battlefield, but an individual in a small skirmish level action, it, there needs to be a balance there where your choice of using a spear or a she, uh, sword or an axe 
is a maybe a little bit more mm -hmm. meaningful than just uh, that. That's um, what I had the, money the for the die type that you roll for damage. Yeah, yeah. it's um, it it helps you know just those those different techniques and tactics that you can use with different weapons. I guess that's that's something I'd like to explore a little bit more. So once the game comes out and if the podcast is still around, you know where to find us. <laughs> We'd love to review mm -hmm. it. Very and, cool. Uh, yeah, and very cool. Th th that's about all the questions we 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 had we had for this. Now, if you want, if you want to plug uh, uh, Paul Pally a little more, you can. <laughs> we, I, <def> <laughs> I, it was definitely a very good interview, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. Appreciate you guys. I I think I've probably talked about it enough. I I love um, I love gaming. Um, the only thing I love probably more than than playing games is talking about the games. <laughs> so uh, I've uh, hopefully we we've covered enough stuff. Uh, get over to our website. We do um, we have our uh, our own Pulp Alley store that you guys ought to get over and check out. Appreciate that. Um, check out our uh, YouTube videos. I try to get something posted every day, something new every day. Uh, sometimes it's relatively short, and we talk about different stuff. I've been looking at different miniatures and models out there. I was looking at some of the uh, Perry miniatures. I was looking at uh, some uh, of the War Games Atlantic plastic oh, yeah. box sets. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and they do some cool stuff. Um, the skeletons, I thought, were a little finicky, and uh, the giant spiders were two sets that I thought were a bit frustrating for me, uh, but a lot of their stuff is really, really cool. Uh, so that's not a knock on them, but just be aware, I guess, if you get those, those particular sets, they're, they're a little bit trickier to put together. But I really do like their World War II stuff. I like their Ancients stuff. Uh, I just ordered, like, some of their Persians. So I'd like, and, you know, this is all stuff that we pay for out of yeah. our pocket. Nobody, nobody sends us this stuff. So it's, it's all stuff that we have, you know, we give an honest opinion <laughs> on. Um, and then, um, I don't know, there's some weird miniatures that, that I think make a lot of, cool stuff to use as for horror gaming as well so a lot of good stuff out there i don't know i guess that i guess that's probably it for me then yeah uh, thank you for uh thank you for gracing the podcast and uh i had a wonderful time <laughs> good good me too really appreciate this it was a, a real honor to be your first interview